The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I want to get into the Word, excited to get into the Word with you. I hope that this isn't a distraction. I hope that none of you are prone to seizures or anything like that. If, if you are, you, you may need to just listen online. Uh, go ahead and excuse yourself now. But uh, I want to get into the Word. I think that it's an important thing to get into. Now, it's hard for me uh, as a pastor or, you know, let me give you an example. Pastor Jared sent me the worship set. You know, he'd prayed about it and he'd, he'd organized the worship set, emailed it to me, you know. Uh, it's not for my approval. He's just saying, hey, heads up, this is what I feel in my spirit. And I looked at it, and I, I, I tried calling him. Now, you guys, you might pray, because he doesn't take my call. So I don't know what I need to do there. But uh, I, I tried calling him because I wanted to tell him, hey, listen, congratulations for not falling into the calendar trap, you know. You have a day like Father's Day and all. I mean, how many churches are singing Good Good Father this morning? I mean, there's probably a lot of them, right? Great song, love that song. But I don't like when the calendar dictates what we do. I, I personally don't like that. doesn't mean that if God's calling us to sing that song, you know, if that's something that's stirring in Pastor Jared's spirit, that it'd get vetoed or anything like that. I wouldn't do that. But I do like making sure that we're led by the Spirit of God, not by the traditions of men, right? So Father's Day comes along, you know, and everything in me wants to kick into the calendar mode, you know, where, well, you got to bring a message about God as our Father and it would be appropriate if that's what God was stirring, but there's something specific that was stirring in me to bring, and, and it has nothing to do with that. Uh, I want to get into the Word this morning, and I want to talk about being led by the Spirit of God. I want to talk about hearing the voice of God. When we hear the things that are going on in our country right now, there's a lot of need for, for people, for believers, to be led by God's Spirit. I mean, when you read the Gospels and you see that there are... are uh, political groups trying to entrap Jesus. I mean, you got to look at the Pharisees, the Sadducees, doctors of law. Think of it in, from a political perspective, asking questions, trying to bait him into giving answers that they can then turn and use against him. That's happening right now. I mean, there are people that have lost their jobs for posting things like all lives matter. I got news for you. All lives matter should be something that we're able to post. I, I don't think that that diminishes anyone else's, you know, political objectives. I think it's important for us just to declare that life is important and it's sacred. But there, there is an environment here that's baiting people in to respond in ways that they will be used against them, that, that their responses will be used against them. I think it's important for us as believers to be led by the Spirit of God. Now, what you need to understand is that there's no difference between you and Jesus. If you were born again, filled with the Spirit of God, we're just like Jesus. Now, that's an obstacle for a lot of people. You know, a lot of people have a challenge with that, and, and I understand that. I, I think that was probably a challenge for me for a long time. But Jesus is constantly referring to himself in the Scripture as the Son of Man. I mean, the fact that, that he would stand before John the Baptist, be baptized, the Holy Spirit would come upon him and remain upon him. We're in the same situation when we are born again, made new, holy, no sin, no corruption, and then empowered with the Spirit of God. So when we look at the ministry of Jesus Christ, we need to see an example. We don't need to view Jesus as if he's some kind of extraterrestrial that had these unique powers that came one time to point us in the right direction and hopefully we all get it figured out. But Jesus is coming as the apostle or the example, the chief example for us, revealing to us the power of holiness lived out in our lives. With sin and corruption completely removed from our lives, 
we're able to function and operate in the Holy Spirit just like Jesus. I mean, you can let these things, let the wheels turn in your mind. You can allow these things to provoke questions. I mean, have you ever asked yourself, why eternal life? I mean, you're in here, you, you, you've signed up for Christianity. Yes, I'm a Christian. You know, God's touched your life in some way. And, but why do you live forever now? Is it just because God likes people that choose him? And he rejects people that don't choose him? Why would you live forever as a believer? I mean, it's an interesting thing to think about. Well, how about this? If, if death is the result of sin, or the wages of sin is death, and you have all your sins washed away, then does death have a hold on you? No. That's why you live forever. So all of these things, when you think about them in a mechanical way, or you, 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 they begin to make sense. It's not just something that we randomly sign up for and hope it all works out, but you can see that God is doing things. Cause and effect, cause and effect, cause and effect. Well, the ministry of Jesus Christ is a revelation to us in how we should live. As people were trapping him in situations or circumstances, he was able to provide solution every single time. And he did that using one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that is available to you, the word of wisdom. I mean, here's an example. A group of men bring a woman caught in adultery. It's funny that they don't bring the guy, right? They drag the woman out there and they say, this woman was caught in adultery. The law says we should do this. What do you say? They're trying to trap him. Trying to get him to say something that will be used that will, as a compromise to what he said before or, or a contradiction. They're trying to cause him to stumble. Now, Jesus, I have to believe, is an intelligent man. I believe he's smart, right? But in this situation, there's a need for something. There's a need to know what to say to shut down the trap. And so he says what he says. Let the one who's here without sin cast the first stone. And it puts all of those who are trying to trap him to, to silence. It's amazing when you read it. Every time you see Jesus do anything, whether it's ministry or it's miraculous in any way, shape, or form, whether the ministry is verbal and preaching or whether it's power and, and ministry, it's functioning in the Holy Ghost the same way that you and I are equipped to function in the Holy Ghost. So I want to get into the Word to see that we're called to function and operate just like Jesus. And I want to see something specific in the Word to lead us and guide us in the days that we're living in. So here's a few things we're going to find. One, we're going to find our problem and God's solution. There's a problem. There's a problem that exists in the world today, and there's a solution that God's provided. Another thing that we're going to find is the right that Jesus gives you. Now, there's a lot of talk about rights today. There's been a lot of talk about rights for, for months and months. I mean, with, with shutdowns and things like that, uh, whether you see those things as, as appropriate or inappropriate, whether those things were good or whether those things were a violation of rights, there's been a lot of discussion about rights. There's a right that Jesus gives you as a believer. We're going to see what that right is. And then a third thing we're going to find uh, is, is how to make good choices every time. How to make good choices every time. I mean, your life is like my life. It's a series of choices and decisions. I, I prefer making good choices. Uh, there have been times where I've made bad choices. How to make good choices every time. So the first thing I want to look at is the problem and the solution. Our problem and God's solution. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to this passage. Isaiah chapter 30, I want to look at verse 1. Isaiah chapter 30, I want to look at verse 1.
Isaiah chapter 30, beginning in verse 1, it just reads like this. It, it says, Woe to the rebellious children, declares the Lord. Now, I want to stop there because I want to state some things that are obvious. Uh, it's, it's God that's speaking here. So I think it's important to make a note of that. God's speaking. He says, Woe to the rebellious children. And now he begins to identify what makes this group rebellious. He said, Those who execute a plan, but not mine. They make an alliance, but not of my spirit. And in doing so, or your Bible may say in order to, they add sin to sin. So you have this, this little statement here that I want to break down because I think it's communicating a lot. It's communicating that there are, is a, a people group that exists. Now, they're identified as rebellious, and they're rebellious uh, because they execute plans, but not God's plans. They make alliances, they join groups, they align themselves with, with people or, or, or politics or, or uh, social uh, situations that are not of God. And when they do that, they add sin upon sin. It, it compounds sin. It's a real problem. Now, I'm labeling that as our problem because this could happen to me. It could happen to me. It could happen to any person. We could get drawn into a situation or a circumstance where we believe we're doing the right thing and, and we're on board with something that's good and noble. But it does, if it's not God, it's not good. I mean, God's identifying rebellious here as anything that's outside of his plan. Any alliance that's not by his spirit. Now, if we turn to social media today, I can guarantee you there's all kinds of, of programs and platforms and groups and all these things that declare they're doing something good and they want you involved. What we need to do as believers is ask ourselves, is this God? Is this God? Is this a plan that God is orchestrating and he's calling me to be a part of it? Is this an alliance that God is bringing by his spirit or is this a, a, another situation or circumstance that will ultimately have corruption within it and lead to the, the, the compiling of sin upon sin. I want us to be cautious as believers, and I want to put myself at the front of that line. Now, that was the problem. We're all in that same situation. That's the problem. We could align ourselves with things that are not of God. We could make decisions that aren't God's plans. We could all do that. That is a risk that we all are, are facing. So what's God's solution to this problem? This problem that touches every single person. Well, God's solution could be found uh, further on in Isaiah 30. I want to look beginning in verses 18. I want to read through uh, 21. So you get down to verse 18. You say, therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Now, that's good news, right? That, hey, we're all facing this problem. We're all in situations where we're making choices of who we align with and, and, and how we function and operate. Is it God? We need to find that out. God wants to help us. He hasn't just tossed us down here and said, hey, some of you will choose wisely, some of you won't. Uh, good for those of you who do, bummer for you who don't. But he longs to be gracious to you. I mean, no matter what your race, no matter what your, your creed, no matter, no matter what your gender, no matter what, God longs to be gracious. He is wanting to lead us and guide us into truth no matter where we begin that journey. He has the same finish line for each one of us, and it's truth. God longs to be gracious. Therefore, he waits on high to have compassion on us. The Lord is a God of justice. And how blessed are those who long for him. It goes on to say this in verse 19. O people of Zion, inhabitants of Jerusalem, you will weep no longer. God will surely be gracious to you and hear the sound of your cry. When he hears it, he will answer you. 
It goes on to say this at the end of verse 20. He, your teacher, that's very important that you see that. It's, it's, a, it's a name, it's a title. It should have a capital T there in your Bible. He, your teacher, will no longer hide himself, but your eyes will behold your teacher. And now here comes verse 21. If there was a passage to highlight here, I, I would encourage you to examine this one. It says that your teacher will no longer hide himself, but your eyes will behold your teacher. Now verse 21, your ears will hear a word or a voice from behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it, whenever you turn to the right or to the left. Now I want to tell you something. When I was a new believer, when I was first born again, I worked with a man, he was a minister in Amarillo, I believe now he's in Kansas, Pastor Burum. And he gave me a handful of scriptures. Just, just, they were on little index cards. I carried those cards with me everywhere I went. I mean, I would work jobs that were, were on the, the blue-collar side of things. I remember taking those cards with me in a job here in Abilene, actually. I continued to carry them with me uh, years after being a believer. And I would sharpen chainsaw chains. That was one of my, my jobs. And, and I would, would keep those cards in my pocket, and I would recite one of those verses for every one of the teeth on the chain, you know. And, I, and if I couldn't remember one, I'd pull the cards out real quick and shuffle through them. That was one of the passages on one of my cards. That passage of Scripture has been an encourage to me since I was born again. The idea that God will give guidance, that he'll provide counsel. That has been such an encouragement to me as a believer to know that when all of the voices are speaking saying, hey, we're right, join us over here. Hey, no, we're right, join us over here. And right now in America, you have tons of voices telling us, no, our cause is just. Come be part of us. For us as believers, we have something that, that no other people group has. We have a teacher who can teach us where to go. A promise of one who will lead us and guide us. I have stood upon that passage of Scripture in every single major decision I've ever made in my life. God, you promised that you'd provide a voice that you would speak and you would provide counsel in which way to turn. I'm at a crossroads. I can either choose this or I can choose that. And right now, the only thing I want to choose is what you tell me to. I want to go in the direction that you're calling me to go. No matter what I think, no matter what I feel, I want to know your will and that's what I want to do. He keeps his word. So as he speaks that we're going to see our teacher, our eyes will be open to our teacher. This is a promise that he makes. Well, Jesus speaks about our teacher in John 14, 26. I want to give you a passage of scripture there. You can take it down for your notes. John 14, John 16, these are our chapters. John 17, John 17 is when Jesus is praying for you. If you're ever having a rough go, sit down and read John 17. John 14, John 16, you're seeing Jesus speak about the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. John 14, specifically, the Holy Spirit is identified by name, and it's a wonderful, powerful name that aligns itself with Isaiah chapter 30. John 14, 26, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father has sent you in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Jesus is revealing the fulfillment of God's promise way back in Isaiah. That a people would no longer be wandering around blind, but that God would make a way for our teacher to come and our teacher to provide us counsel. When faced with choices and decisions, we're no longer rolling the dice on whether or not we're going to align ourselves with God or outside of God, but we can have counsel. 
So my question is then, what am I being taught? I mean, if, if the Holy Spirit is present in my life to teach me, what is it that he's teaching me? What are the things that he's bringing to my remembrance that Jesus said? I want to give you a passage of scripture here. I mentioned a few things that we were going to find. One, we're going to find, remember, our problem and God's solution. We did that. And then we're going to find the right that Jesus gives you as a believer. Now, I don't think that, that any group of people understands rights uh, more than Americans, and especially Texans. We're all about our rights, but I want to know what our kingdom rights are, and I want, you, I want you to see this in the scripture out of the Gospel of John. I want to give you a passage of scripture here. Uh, I have in my notes John chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. Now, as I quote this, if that's wrong, I want someone to correct me. John chapter 1, I want to look at verse 12. As you get into verse 12, you, you, you find these words. As many as received him. Now, this is talking about Jesus. Now, when it talks about them who are doing the receiving, those are people. Me, you. Receiving him means embracing who he is, believing that he is the Savior, the Anointed One, the Christ, the Messiah. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. The right to become children of God. It goes on to say, even those who believe in his name who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man, but born of God. And you're talking about people who are born again. Me, you, born again. As many who have received him, he gave them the right. Now, it's a Greek word, exousia. I mean, it's a, it's a, you don't have to know Greek to, to understand the definition. I want to read the definition to you. The power of choice. The power of authority to choose to make a judicial decision or to manage or have the authority to handle an affair or affairs. God's given us a right, an authority to choose, an authority to, to make a decision. Now, this is something that I think we ought to catch because I, I think for, for a lot of believers, there's an understanding that once you become a Christian, the choice is already made. But what we're seeing here in the scripture is that when we come into Christianity, when we're born again, we're now given the power to choose. We're given that teacher, that voice to lead us and guide us. The decision, the choice is still up to us because God will never take your will. Right here, right now, in this day and age, with everyone saying, hey, sign up with us, we're the real deal. And these people over here saying, no, they're crooked, sign up with us, come join us over here. We're stuck in the middle waiting to choose, and the choice does belong to us, but we have help. We have the right to choose sonship in God's kingdom. So I want to explain how important that is and why that's an important thing for us to catch. I mean, it could sound a bit like a, a, a muddled message, but there's a real point to it. I want to give you this passage of Scripture out of Romans. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. It's talking about being children of God. God being our Father and us being His children. And it's speaking about uh, something very specific. Something that identifies that relationship as being in existence. Romans 8, 14, excuse me. Romans 8, 14. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. 
For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Being led by the Spirit of God, that promised teacher that Jesus speaks of, that promised teacher that Isaiah speaks of, that that voice that's meant to lead us and guide us when faced with choices and decisions. I've made some of the biggest decisions in my life, not based on research or trial, but based on simply being led by God. I could tell you stories, stories uh, that have have meant relocation and job changes. Uh, The biggest story was getting married. I mean, all of these things that are happening in my life that are major or massive decisions. You know, the world will give you a system of how to make those choices and decisions, but God gives you a simple task. Be led by him and him alone. We can come to a place where all of the alliances that we make, where all the decisions and the choices that we make are in line with God's will because we've been led into those decisions by God himself. And the wonderful identification of sonship, being led by the Spirit of God. Being led is an interesting thing. I mean, I want to consider that for a second. If, If functioning as a child of God means being led by the Spirit of God, I want to know how to be led by God's Spirit. I mean, I don't want to get there by accident and think, well, man, that worked out. I'd like to intentionally apply what's necessary in my life to be led. Jesus speaks about being led. I'll I'll give you a passage of scripture out of the gospel, uh, gospel of John chapter 10. I want to begin reading in verse 22, but he ultimately is talking about us uh, being led in this. I want to start here. He says, "At at the time of the feast of the dedication, when this took place in Jerusalem, it was winter. And Jesus was walking around in the temple on the porch of Solomon. And Jews were gathered around him and were saying to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. And then Jesus responds to them. Once again, you see a word of wisdom here. He answers them and he says, I told you, but yet you don't believe. You don't believe the works that I do in the Father's name. These testify about me. But you don't believe because you're not my sheep. I mean, what an interesting answer to a question. They ask him, hey, just tell us, are you the Christ or not? And and Jesus explains to them that this wouldn't even be a question for them if they were his sheep. So you got to understand, Jesus doesn't just get a kick out of giving people a hard time. I mean, he's, he's just not like that. He's not insecure. This isn't some kind of an attempt to, to smokescreen a difficult question. He's giving them a very specific answer, and he goes on to explain this answer. In the next breath, he says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they'll never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hands. And now here comes their plain and simple answer. I and the Father are one. So in this answer, we see something. We see Jesus talk about the importance of following after him. And he explains what that means. Now remember, why we're looking at this is because we want to be the children of God. And all who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God or the sons of God. We want to fall in that category. So when I look at Jesus Uh, explain following or, or being led, he explains it like this. My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. They hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. 
If being led by Jesus requires those three things, I want to be completely devoted to those three things. I mean, those are three things I want to write down. Those are three things that I want to ask in any decision that I make. Am I hearing Jesus? Does he know me? And am I following him? Am I hearing Jesus? It's the reason why understanding the word is so important, the written word. Jesus will never speak anything in contradiction to the written word. If someone ever comes and says, you know, God's leading me, he's speaking this to me, and it's in contradiction to the written word, there should be a tremendous pause. I know them. Now, that's an interesting thing. You have to understand the word know there to understand what's being spoken. The power of that word know, it's not just a, a, an acquaintance. And we have very shallow acquaintances in, in our culture today. I mean, I want to be careful and gentle because I don't, I don't want to embarrass or shame anyone. But I mean, I look at things like Facebook and I see people that have a thousand friends and I think, no, you don't. You know, no, you don't. Don't, don't call those relationships friends. I mean, you can call it followers or acquaintances. What, I, don't, I don't know. You come up with something better than friend. But this, this I know them is a very interesting and intimate thing. It, by definition, it means that, that there's an, an exchange of authority. I mean, I have to ask myself, am I vulnerable to Jesus? Does, is, is this in line with his word? And then am I vulnerable to him? Am I open to his input? Has anyone ever asked you a question before and you knew they really didn't care what your answer was? Yeah. So this is thrown in there because that happens. And there's no way that this is just going to become some religious obligation. Well, uh, did you go to the word? Yes, I went to the word. If Jesus leads you in another direction, would you follow? Well, I don't know. I mean, I remember one time going to a, a, a pastor, and an, an apostle in my life. Some of you know him by name. Uh, Larry, Larry called me up and said, um, uh, Preston, I, I was recently in the church in Oklahoma and the Holy Spirit told me you're supposed to pastor that church. Well, I had no desire to do that. And so I told Larry, wow, that's, that's really incredible. Uh, let me check with Ashley on that and, and I'll get back to you because I just thought Ashley was going to say, yeah, that's not happening, you know. And, and so, you know, I went and I checked with Ashley and said, well, you know, well, God woke me up this morning and I had a stirring in my spirit that there was going to be a change and a transition and, and I really feel like that's it. And I thought, well, man, that didn't work. So I thought I need to go somewhere else and, and get another opinion on this. So then I, I go and I meet with, with my pastor at the time and, and sit down and tell him the situation and, and uh, he reveals a couple of things. And then what I realize is I'm, I'm, I'm really not interested in being vulnerable to Jesus. I'm pushing my agenda here. So the fact that we could be vulnerable to Jesus is there, and then to follow after him. Hearing his voice, being vulnerable to him, and then following after him. The following after him is really interesting to me. I've never followed anything that wasn't in front of me. I mean, putting Jesus first is how we can follow after him. If he's behind me, he's following me. And if he's in front of me, then when he turns to the right, I can turn to the right. When he turns to the left, I can turn to the left. Putting Jesus first is a key to following him. I want to offer these things to you as, as we get through the word here, and I want to remind us why we're looking at this. Being led by the Spirit of God. 
is what makes us the children of God. So I want to offer this as a bit of a, a spiritual paternity test. I want to be a child of God. I want to function and operate as one of the sons of God, and therefore I need to be spirit-led. So if somebody came up to me and just said, hey, Pastor Preston, are you spirit-led? What do you think my answer is going to be? Yes, absolutely. But what if I'm not? What if I'm just saying that because that's the religious thing to say and, and, and that's what I want, you know? Have you ever taken a personality test? I mean, did it tell you how awesome you were when you were done? Oh, it didn't? You must be so much more honest than I am. Because I took it, and I'm a hero when I'm done taking it. And you know what I thought? I thought, if you really wanted to know my personality, you should probably have my wife take this for me. <laughs> and it would be interesting to see how different the results would be, you know. I take it, and I see questions like, you know, uh, do you enjoy social events? Oh, yes, absolutely I do. Uh, do you enjoy solitude? Oh, yeah, I love that. Huh? Uh, uh, are you uh, one who uh, uh, is... Uh, uh, keeps the, the rules and the law. Oh, yeah, absolutely I am. Uh, are you one who would be creative and, and step outside of the rules uh, should it call for, oh, yep, that's me too, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it, it's just kind of a mess, you know. But I want to do this. I want to give you a couple of things from the Scripture to, to reveal to us. Hey, listen, if we can check off these boxes, I think we, we can look at our lives and, and realize we are being led by the Spirit, that we are functioning and operating as children. And you've got to understand that these things are in the Word for that purpose. You know, God just didn't write the Bible because, you know, the New York Times needed a bestseller. It, 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 the Word is put together to lead us and to guide us to be used as, as a, a tool to measure our lives against, to examine ourselves, as Paul puts it. And I want to use these passages of Scripture about being God's children to do just that. Are we being led by the Spirit of God? Are we the sons of God? Here are a few spiritual paternity tests. 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. Nor is the one that does not love his brother. So I can give you two right there. The, the practicing of righteousness. That doesn't mean anyone who's, who's never had a, a sin in their life. It means, is, are you committed to doing what's right? Or, or is there compromise? Is there a desire to interpret what's right or to, to edit or, or, or adjust what's right? I mean, righteousness being practiced identifies us as children of God. And then the other part of that passage scripture, the one that does not or needs to love his brother. I look around today and, and I hear the talk of, of racism and all of these things. There's no room for racism in, in any believer's life, period. It is the most ridiculous, stupid, asinine, ungodly thing, the, the biggest lie of Satan that could ever exist. Practicing righteousness, loving one another, spiritual paternity test. Here's another test for you, Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. I remember we're wanting to test ourselves. Are we the sons of God? Are we those who are led by the Spirit? When I'm put into a situation, do I bring peace into that situation? Am I one that calms the storm or am I one that fuels the fires? In any situation or circumstance, am I identified as a peacemaker? 
if I'm identified as a peacemaker, by definition, I'm identified as one who's a son of God or one who's being led by the Spirit of God. Practicing righteousness, loving one another, bringing peace or being a peacemaker. Now another spiritual paternity test, Matthew chapter 5. I want to look at verses 44 and 45. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that, do you hear so that? Yeah, because here, here's the, the result of doing that. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. If these things aren't in our lives, if that's not how we deal with things, our identity as God's sons is, is compromised. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I can tell you I had this uh, wrong for a lot of years. Uh, I interpreted that as, you know, I was to pray about my enemies. And I've done that quite a bit, you know. Father, I know you can see what those jerks are doing, and I'd like for you to intervene and shut them down in the mighty name of Jesus. You know, and I thought that was this righteous thing. I'm praying for my enemies, you know. I'm praying about my enemies. The, the concept of praying for my enemies needs to be interpreted the same way that I would interpret Scripture that says God is for me. Therefore, he's not against me. Praying for our enemies means asking God to, to lead them, guide them, bless them, not smite them. It's biblical talk for you. And then pray for those who persecute you. Spiritual paternity test. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless, innocent children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights to the world. So you see this identity once again as children of God being the result of this behavior, this behavior being doing all things without grumbling or disputing. I have failed that spiritual paternity test a lot. I mean, I really think my, my natural carnal response to most things is to gripe about it. And if you don't believe me, you can probably ask my wife and she would probably let you know that that is true. But to function and operate as a child of God in any situation or any circumstance is not to gripe about it or complain about it. I'm, I am watching the clock and we're winding down here, but I want to explain why that's such a big deal. Do you remember in the scripture when the Israelites were, were moving out of sin and out of slavery and into the promised land? So you have people leaving bondage and being led into the promise. Okay, That describes my life. That describes your life. Jesus has come, he's set us free from bondage and captivity, and we are moving from faith to faith into the full promise of God where we are perfected, made just like Jesus. Wonderful, wonderful thing that's taking place in my life and in your life. Throughout this journey, in, in the example that we have in the scripture with the Israelites, you see people complaining and grumbling. And I mean, I look at that and I think, why is that really a big deal? You know, you got a bunch of people uh, it's, it's not comfortable, I don't really like crowds, they're in the desert, they're wandering around, you know, there's not a lot of food, not a lot of water, cut them some slack, you know, let them vent a little bit. But there's a reason why grumbling and complaining is so bad. There's a reason why grumbling and complaining shouldn't exist in, in our lives. And when it does exist in our lives, it's identifying that we're not functioning as God's children, that's for sure. Because at the foundation of every complaint there's an accusation. 
I mean, think about that for a second. I mean, you could come up with all kinds of examples, and some of them might seem silly or petty, but I would challenge anyone in the room to come up with any grumbling complaint and, and identify that at the foundation of it, there's not an accusation. I mean, you could complain about the meal that you're about to eat. You go out to lunch, Father's Day meal, and, oh, they overcooked the chicken. Well, you're accusing the cook of messing up. You're accusing them of not paying attention. You're At the foundation of any complaint is an accusation. Now, this is a big deal for this reason. I mean, there, there's, there's two things going on in the heavens. You have Jesus making intercession, and then you have the ministry of Satan, which is the ministry of accusation. He is the accuser of the brethren. It's the reason why God says there's no room for accusation to exist in us. We're meant to be those that are making peace, that are interceding. But when we begin to grumble and complain, we step a foot into the other side of accusation. And that is not of our Father. Grumbling and complaining needs to be something that's non-existent. And when we get rid of grumbling and complaining, we prove ourselves, according to Philippians, to be blameless, innocent children of God. Another spiritual paternity test, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. It reads like this, Behold, what manner of the Father has been bestowed upon us? I mean, it's a statement of, of awe. When you, when you picture this being written, just realize that there's an awareness that God loves us so much. What is this love that God's bestowed upon us? That we should be called sons of God. Therefore, the world doesn't know us because it doesn't know Him. Now, this one you have to kind of read between the lines a little bit, but I want to offer it as one of those spiritual paternity tests. Does the world know you? Does the world know me? Now, I've got news for you. I'm a bit of a weirdo to most of the world. Like, I've got to be the least cool guy you'll ever meet in your entire life. But there's a lot of Christianity that blends right into the world. It looks just like the world. I mean, you, you couldn't even identify them as, as separate or different. And now this was a big deal from the very beginning, from the time Moses was leading the Israelites out of captivity and into the promise of God. He had a conversation with God. I think you can find it somewhere around Exodus 34. I mean, you, you'll find it. He's talking to him and he's talking to God. And he says, you know, we need you to be with us or else we look just like everybody else. What an interesting thing to be concerned about, you know? I mean, it's a really interesting thing because here's a guy. They're, they're leaving one nation. They're, they're going someplace that they've never been before. Uh, they're in the place where, where provisions are scarce. And he's not asking about, hey, can you guarantee water? Uh, can you guarantee shade? Can you guarantee food? What he's saying is, <clears throat> hey, all this is pointless if we end up looking just like everyone else. All of this leading us out of captivity, all of this taking us into bondage, if we talk like them, look like them, act like them, if we share the same belief system as them, we're no different than them. We need you. Without you, we're just like them. You're the only thing that makes us different. What a wonderful thing to be concerned about. And that's when God said, okay, I will go with you and I will give you shalom. I'll give you rest. I'll give you peace. Does the world embrace you? Do you look like the world? Does the world know you? If we look like the world, it's a failure on the spiritual paternity test. There's got to be an examination there. Are we being led by the Spirit of God or are we being led by our current culture? Galatians uh, chapter 3, verse 26. 
You are the sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Without faith in Jesus, without leaning on Jesus, without trusting Jesus, it's impossible to be operating as a child of God. At any point in our life, in our ministry, in our calling, in our family, in our business, no matter what, trusting and believing in Jesus is absolutely necessary. I mentioned before we're going to find out how to to make every decision a good decision, how to get every choice right. I want to give you a passage of scripture here as we close. From Proverbs chapter 3, I want to look at verses 5 and 6. Remember, the whole point of this is identifying that God's given us a solution to a problem. That problem is we have voices pulling us in all different directions. But God's promised to give us a teacher. He's promised to provide help, a voice telling us which way to go when we're at a crossroads with a choice or a decision. And it's following that voice that identifies us as his children. When we come to any situation, when we, when we deal with any decision or any choice, there's really only one solution to guarantee getting it right. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. It's a call for every believer to trust in the Lord with all of their heart, not to lean on their own understanding, but in all of their ways acknowledge God, and God will make their paths straight. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding, but acknowledge him. Put Jesus first, and he'll lead us, he'll guide us, he'll make the path straight. I want to give an example in closing. You'd find the example in in the book of 1 Kings, probably specifically in chapter 3. But it's an example that most of you will be familiar with, so I'm very comfortable paraphrasing. A man by the name of Solomon is put in a position where he's making choices and decisions. Now, really and truly, it's no different than you or me. No matter what your sphere of influence is, no matter the, the, the weight or the size of the choices or the decisions, you are in a position of making choices and decisions every single day. And your choices and your decisions have an effect on the future. Solomon is in this position of making choices and decisions. And he has this encounter with God. And God asks him, you know, Solomon, what do you want me to do for you? And Solomon asks for something. Now, if you asked most Christians or believers what he asked for, they would tell you that he asked for wisdom. You know, that Solomon... You know, maybe people would interpret that as intelligence or, you know, help me to to perceive things so that I don't make mistakes or something along those lines. But really, it's a a bad translation. It's a real watered-down translation. He didn't ask for wisdom. Uh, Some of you, if you have your Bibles and you you, you look that up, you'll, you'll see, if you have a King James or something like that, it might say he asked for an understanding heart. Well, that's closer, but it's still not there. When you look in the Hebrew at what he asked for, Solomon asked God for something. He says, Shema Leb. Shema, just like this banner over here, right? You see Jehovah or Yahweh Shema. I mean, that word is translated in in the most famous Israeli or Hebrew prayer, the Shema, as, as here. 
Shema Israel, hear, O Israel. He asked for Shema Leb, a hearing heart. Leb from the word Labab, heart. So here's a guy who is, is got decisions, he's got choices, and God comes to him and says, hey, what do you want? Here's a guy who says, I want a hearing heart. Shema Leb. And God looks at this decision and reveals, you know, this is the perfect thing to ask for. You could have asked for this, and I would have given it to you, but you would have been stuck with that. Could have asked for that, I would have given it to you, but you would have just had that. You asked for this, and you have now opened the door for success in everything. Solomon isn't just this recorded piece of history for us to look back on and be like, well, look, there's a Hebrew leader who made a good decision and and God did some cool stuff. Solomon is an example of how every single person who's a believer led by the Spirit of God is equipped to make choices and decisions. Jesus referred to him. He said, you guys know Solomon. Something greater than Solomon is here. It's true for your life too. Something greater than Solomon is there and there and there and there and there and there and there all across this room. Because everything that he asked for, he didn't ask for buckets of gold or, or, you know, for all of his enemies to drop dead. What he asked for was the ability to hear God's counsel and direction. And it's what every single believer has access to in Jesus. No matter what choice, no matter what decision we face, Shema Leb, something greater than Solomon is here. Thanks to Jesus and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. God has fulfilled his word from Isaiah 30. He's fulfilled the promise that Jesus spoke of in John 14. You and I have the counsel and the direction to be led by the Spirit of God and fulfill our calling as the sons of God, operating in truth in every choice, in every decision. What a wonderful thing. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. I want to pray and I want to ask God to do something for each one of us. All of the choices that we're faced with, all of the decisions of the political turmoil and conflict. It would be an abomination to use a a pulpit or a platform to push a personal view or opinion. But it would be the, the will of God to stand and declare that we have a call to be led by the Spirit of God. God loves us. He's equipped us with the fulfillment of His promises. In a direction that we face, whether it's left or right, he's promised not to leave us without counsel. No matter how big the choice or the decision or how small. And with the example that he set before us, through the leadership of our King Jesus, through the example of men like Solomon and others, we have revealed to us the importance of functioning and living our lives this way. It's the key to success in every choice or every decision. It does require us to follow after Jesus, to be vulnerable to him, to be willing to do what he says even when we don't want to. But the results are good choices and good decisions that lead to prosperity.
Prosperity in every situation and every circumstance. If we want to be the believers that are doing things God's way, who are being led by the Spirit of God, functioning as the sons of God or the children of God, it will require that same commitment to a hearing heart. Above all else, Shema Leb, let my heart hear your counsel. Let me not take a step in any direction before first seeing your fulfilled promise, your word leading me and guiding me. When we begin to make choices and decisions like that, we avoid the pitfalls of making allegiances and alliances that are outside of God's spirit. We avoid the pitfalls of operating in the rebellion that God spoke of in Isaiah. And we step into the call of sonship, being the children of God, led by his spirit, establishing his kingdom. I want to pray for us this morning and ask God to do a work in our hearts. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you lead us, that you guide us. We thank you that you've granted to us this wonderful right to be your children. Let us exercise that right. That we wouldn't make choices and decisions based on our own thoughts and our own views, but let every one of our thoughts and our views be laid upon the altar. And let us be devoted and committed to finding your view, your will, your direction, and your counsel. And let us chase after that with all that we have, that we truly would be led by your Spirit. That we would begin to be identified in this world by the results of being Spirit-led. That we would be peacemakers. That we would celebrate righteousness. That there would be love for one another. That we could do things without grumbling and complaint. That the world would look upon us and we would appear, as your Word declares, peculiar. That we would stand out as different. And let it not be to alienate them, but let it be to testify, just as light would shine into darkness, that you and your love are powerful, present, and more than enough to make a way. We thank you for your goodness and your favor. And here together, I ask for myself and for all who are present, Will you bless your children with hearing hearts that we might hear your voice as you promised. This is the direction. Walk in it. Whenever we are faced with a, a decision to turn to the right or the left. And as your word is fulfilled in our lives, let us be filled with joy and celebration. Let it be released in praise and thanksgiving that you are a good father. That our King Jesus is the good shepherd. That you're leading us and you're guiding us out of corruption and into maturity for the expansion of your kingdom and the glory of your name. We give you thanks and surrender our hearts unto you. Let us hear clearly and give us the courage and the strength to follow. We bless you and we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus and all the saints declare, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.